Welcome to Gimcrack Videos. How can I help you? Hi. Hello. Yeah, we're just uh, browsing for something a little different. Well, have you tried our Forgotten Classics section? Is that the one that's over there under the sign that says Blighted by God? Oh, ooh, found something. Have you seen this before? No, I've never even heard of it. Perfect. Wonderful. Enjoy your selection. <laughs> <laughs> you know we're still here, right? <clears throat> oh. Welcome to Found on Shelf, the podcast where we tell you everything you never wanted to know about movies you'd wish you'd never seen. I am Patrick, and I am officially retiring the Reverend bit, but if you do happen to want a Ghoulies-themed wedding, I'm still available to officiate. Just uh, drop a line on foundonshelfpod.com, and we'll see what we can word you think. And uh, <laughs> joining me today, is always, is the ever-patient and long-suffering co-host, <laughs> Dustin. Dustin, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> Uh, all things considered, uh, things are going well. All things considered is a great tagline, folks, because we record this with a pretty big buffer, and from right now, might be a bit of a rough ride. That's all yeah. I'll say. Um, so, Dustin, I, I kind of wanted to apologize up front for last week. I, I know you wanted to bring some class to the program when you suggested Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. I kind of messed it up <laughs> when I, I watched the wrong one. So... As a way of making it up to you, I thought I'd pick a movie with some real class this week, uh, which is why we're going to be talking about Frankenhooker. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, let no man say I don't have taste. <laughs> I, I, I could tell you what my taste is because um, at the beginning of the pandemic, Tiger King came out and everyone was watching it. And about three episodes in, I, f I, lo I look at a picture of Joe Exotic and say, oh, I have that shirt. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we're talking about Frankenhooker. It is, from my point of view, one of the greatest films I've ever seen. Dustin, what do you feel about this movie? I wouldn't say greatest, but it is probably one of the better Frankenstein genre films. That's accurate. Yeah. If you wanted to sell someone on this movie... Mm, how would you do it? I mean, it's all in just the name of it. It's Frankenhooker. It's a guy that rebuilds his girlfriend out of hooker parts. That's really all you got to say. Like it's, it's, it's in the name guys. Just, you know, you there, you know what you are getting with this movie just from the title alone. It is not misleading. I have a backup pitch. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> sure. Uh, if you only see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. And that is brought to you by Bill Murray. <laughs> On the year of its release. <laughs> Comes fully endorsed by Bill Murray. Well, there you go. You know, I, I want to play the trailer, but before we get there, I, 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 I feel like we need to level set a little. What do you know about Frank Hinnenlauter? Um, I don't know much at all. Frank Hinnenlauter is a truly demented filmmaker. 
Um, he's in his 70s now, and he is responsible for some of the most infamous movies of the 80s and early 90s. Obviously, this is one of them. Uh, he grew up in Long Island, so he's native to the New York area, and he grew up on like a steady diet of exploitation and sexploitation and all of those types of movies. It uh, doesn't show at all. <laughs> can't, completely surprising, <laughs> right? I was shocked. I'll tell you what, he used to lie about his age to get into theaters playing things like House of Cats. Like He loved going into the city and hanging out at Times Square, and if you're doing the math on when <laughs> he would have been doing that, you can get a vibe for the kind of movies and the kind of scene that he's in, right? right. Times Square doesn't didn't always look the way it looks today. Uh, the type of film that are his influences going in that lead to this is going to be like unique when you realize what he kind of grew up in. He said of himself, I think eccentrically, and that's self-evident. It should be stated that he went so far to, as to dedicate his first film to Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, so we're in for a ride. Anyone who doesn't know who Herschel Gordon Lewis is, it's going to be too long of a segue to try and broach that topic right here definitely one of the most infamous filmmakers of all time for just some of the worst and goriest films but like worst gore films possible <laughs> specifically like blood feast uh, another big fan of blood feast would have been you know michael allen because there's a very famous club gig like that in the 80s set around blood feast we will be talking about blood feast i am going to pick it at some point but give you an idea and a brief rundown of his career leading up to this movie he started out making shorts right and his like most people do and his first one slash of the knife it actually played with pink flamingos wow all right and he was he was really proud about that and how could you not be, right <laughs> yeah his first feature film is his most well-known. It's a cult film called Basket Case. And Basket Case is, stay with me here, about conjoined twins who were forcibly separated. And then they go on a revenge spree. One of the brothers never really developed and is being carried around by the quote-unquote normal brother in a wicker basket. Uh, he's depicted as like a monstrous creature. His name is literally Belial. And if you want a visual, think of like a sentient tumor. Malignant. <laughs> actually when i saw malignant about halfway through the third act i said oh my god what if basket case was john wick <laughs> yes. and that that's my pitch for malignant by the way if you have not seen it what if basket case was john wick go watch malignant i got to the third act and i just stood up and screamed into the void this is cinema i cannot think of a better ride right that, that was yeah that was fun but this but Basket Case is also a weird um, and unique movie. It's very violent. It's very everything. Uh, when it screened at Cannes, only two critics saw it. One of them was Rex Reed. Frank asked him on the way out of the theater what he thought of the movie, uh, to which he exclaimed, this film is sick. So what would you do? If you're Frank Hinnelotter, you put this you film is sick on that, all of the posters. You put that quote on a box. Pissed him off to no end. <laughs> Um, the other critic is the one and only Joe Bob Briggs, famous horror host and film critic extraordinaire, who was a huge champion of Basket Case and actually helped get the uncut gore version released. And in fact, the world premiere for it was in a drive-in at Irving off 183. Oh, see. So uh, this movie becomes a huge cult film over the years, and Frank eventually makes two sequels to it. Actually, one of them is filmed back-to-back with Frank and Hooker, and a lot of people love it. I am not one of them, but I will be honest with you, it's more of a content thing because like there is a there's a there's a 
there's a sexual assault scene at the climax of Basket Case that is one of the worst things I have ever seen on film. And clearly, if we're running this podcast, I am not a stranger to exploitation movies. And in fact, a lot of the crew actually walked off set during filming just out of pure disgust. Yeah. So there's my content warning. If you want to check out Basket Case, (laughs) please know this going in. Don't just put it on blind. Okay. The movie that he follows this up with does not do that. And in fact, I haven't seen him ever go that far again. But I haven't seen everything yet. There's about three Frank and Alana movies that I have not watched in the uh, feature film thing. So like we'll say, uh, just put that out there. But I don't think it goes that far again. The second follow-up is called Brain Damage. That one is about a parasite that feeds on brains and also floods the brain of its host with hallucinogens and maybe sexual euphoria. It also sings show tunes. I mean, why wouldn't it? And I just wanted to like really really paint a picture of what we're in for before we dive into Frank and Hooker. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a little too much off the top. You know, you know, you keep picking Charles Band films and I just wanted to really to spotlight. <laughs> I wanted to spotlight literally anyone else. So I, I picked the most. I can't help it. <laughs> I picked the most exploitation person I could. <laughs> Whatever you're ready, let's play that trailer. All right, let's go for it. horrified by the motion picture Frankenstein. In 1935, horror turned to terror with the bride of Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you... Want a date? Frankenhooker. Jeffrey Franken has a plan. I just want to bring him back. He has the ingenuity. I need female body parts. He has everything he needs, except the raw materials. Just hold still. Wow! Jeffrey's creation is alive. Looking for some action? Oh, yeah! He's sexy. On a date? You going out? I'm on my way home, but uh, thanks anyway. I are. And she's so jerked to please. Listen, I'm looking for a very tall, attractive woman. She's purple. She's got fresh bars on her. She's in the bar! Now, a motion picture like no other. Ah! A tender story of love. Romance. A gripping tale of lust and revenge. Frank and Hooker. Incredible. Some assembly may be required. Some assembly may be required. <laughs> I mean, uh, are you not on board yet already? That is fantastic. <laughs> right? It's just so fun and lighthearted. It's such, it's such a weird weird kind of juxtaposition in this movie it's just it's so dry humor and (laughs) just just over the top stuff it's 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 great i like it yeah um that's what frank uh said it's like the joke is that there are no jokes well there are jokes but like they're just played completely straight right and they actually i mean they they kind of get it get it out of the way like immediately the very first scene of this movie was just him playing with a giant brain in a jar trying to with an eyeball in the middle of it trying to track his hand and it just already looked ridiculous so you you kind of know this is what it is just <laughs> buckle up I mean, it's it. it's almost jarring it's like a cold open to an eyeball in a brain yeah <laughs> and then the because uh, his uh fiance's mom walks in and just doesn't even acknowledge the she's just like oh okay and just starts going on about it yeah it's uh it's a really weird vibe and it's a little off-putting at first 
But you know what you're in for now. There are two main characters. The first one that we see is Jeffrey Franken, who is playing with a brain on a table. He's at his future in-law's house. It is, I believe, his future father-in-law's birthday. And um, his fiancée, Elizabeth, is trying to make sure that he doesn't make things too weird at the party. As he brings a brain with an eyeball in it, just to <laughs> hang out in the kitchen. <laughs> So what did you think about Elizabeth? Okay, so right off the bat, why why was there this obsession with her weight? <laughs> She's wearing a fat suit, a terrible one at that. Uh, and well, the fat suit was unfortunately because of the budget. They couldn't go all out with it. <laughs> they didn't even need to call her fat to begin with. I mean, it, it was it was a setup to basically his kind of medical uh, experience. I get, but. <laughs> Why do you keep calling her fat? Well, they wanted to, to they wanted a bigger fat suit because they wanted her to be overweight so that the the idea of what Jeffrey is doing later is like he, yeah, he's bringing her back to life, but also he's designing the woman that he wants and right. trying to comment on that. Like a lot of this movie is about the objectification of women, which is I, <laughs> I wouldn't call Frankenhooker, you know, a feminist film. <laughs> no, but it doesn't exactly not have anything to say here. And then, yes, uh, what do we have here? Elizabeth was talking to some of her medical friends about how he he let her staple his stomach or yes. staple her stomach. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, she's like. I didn't know Jeffrey was a doctor. And uh, she's like, well, he's not. <laughs> he got kicked out of three medical schools. She says, he says, he describes himself as a bioelectrician. No, I'm yes. sorry. A bioelectrotechnician. Electrotechnician. He's he does amateur surgery. Uh, he's been kicked out of several med schools. He's playing with a brain on the kitchen table. But they do seem to care for each other quite a bit. Yeah. She likes to eat pretzels. Everyone calls her fat, but she's she's a very <laughs> she's extremely like life of the party type person. She's got a pretty positive outlook on things. And Jeffrey <laughs> has invented something for her father. <laughs> yeah. Remote controlled lawnmower that's sitting up on that hill over there. What could go wrong? So Elizabeth wants to demo it for him, and she does that while standing in front of it. I don't feel like I don't need to say what happens next, but it doesn't go well. I mean, blood splatters on the lawn gnome. Right, and it's it's uh, it's a hundred percent obvious what's about to happen, and you are just along for the ride. Like you know where this is going, and you know it's not going to stop, and you're just like, hell yes, this is the movie I'm. This is what I signed up for. I got a brain in a jar and a woman versus lawnmower in like the first five ten minutes of the movie. Lightning credits, yeah, <laughs> and great credits by the way. It kind of really helped. Uh, a lot of times, credits are just credits. It's just you know white letters on a black screen. This is actually going through his his drawings and his like talking to himself, rambling. So a couple things happen really fast. Is the mo- the the tone for the movie is set by this very off putting intro, and you get a pretty good character introduction to everyone. So it does that does that job really well. And then you get the violence, and then you get like the lightning and the the music cues up, and you're like, all right, this is kind of lighthearted. And then it kind of like cues back into like the actual. He's drawing muscle diagrams and stuff. And he's mumbling to himself, like you said. And he starts to say things. Tell he's trying to figure out how to um, put a body together, right? Yeah, and needing to amp more power to here and there. And- yeah, but he also says things like, well, I need to get rid of that chicken neck or something. <laughs> and that's too fat there. Like, he, like, he, like the movie is putting its thesis up front. Yeah. And then we kind of pull back from the credits and he's just in his room, I believe in his mother's house. Well, well, I do have one line about it, her mother, but but first he he grabbed the uh he grabbed that tape 
that was hidden in a book and it just had Elizabeth's name on it. And I have to play the news story because once again, like wood through a mulcher, the girthful fiance disappeared beneath the blades of the berserk mower that sent her personality raining down upon the horrified birthday revelers in a blaze of blood, bones and body parts. The vivacious young girl was instantly reduced to a tossed human salad. <laughs> I thought even the news reporter had to call her girthful. <laughs> yeah. The news reporter is the news reporter from Brain Damage. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to put all that context up front. Um, okay. The Frank Hennenlauter, at least the first couple movies, it's a shared universe. Wow. Pre-MCU. Pre-MCU. So in <laughs> Basket Case, we see the titular brothers make an appearance on the subway in Brain Damage. And in this movie, you get a couple characters recurring as well. And the first one that we see is this newscaster from Brain Damage. It's a nice little connection there. Mm-hmm. Or does he just sucker the same people into working for him over and over again? It's like a stock company. <laughs> I mean, these the, the people working for him, like on the production crews, are making things like Slime City and Street Trash. Okay. Like, it is, like, you watch Street Trash, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the most reprehensible movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and that's going to circle back in because guess where, guess where um, our star is from? Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> James Lorenz was in Street Trash as a doorman. Frank Henlotter saw some of the early footage for this before it was like uh, completely finished. He was like helping the director. And he's like, you gotta, you, you've really struck gold with Lorenz here. You, you, and then the guy said, well, actually, he's not the main character. He's just, uh, he's just in this one thing. He's like, it's a huge mistake. You got to put him everywhere. I don't remember the doorman bit. The parts of Street Trash I remember, I'd prefer to forget. So I'm not <laughs> entirely sure what this performance translates to, but I do know the kind of person that Frank Hennenlauter is, and I do know why he spotlighted them. The other person in the scene, though, is his mother. His mother is being played by Louise Lasser from Mary Hartman. All right. So there is some degree of pedigree. This is actually uh, the first Guild movie that uh, Frank made. The other two movies were not Union. So this is the first movie with SAG actors actually in it. The mom was very, uh, very interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I like, had something to play about because so... Yeah, she comes in there and she's talking to him and he kind of, he goes on a little bit of a rant and tries to explain some of it. So if you, if you, if you hadn't caught his kind of journey down the dark side in the credits, it would really want to make sure. And she's got the best reaction to it. I seem to be disassociating myself from reality more and more each day. I'm antisocial, becoming dangerously amoral. I've lost the ability to distinguish between right from wrong, good from bad. I'm scared, Mom. I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm plunging headfirst into some kind of black void of sheer, utter madness or something. Do you want a sandwich? <laughs> no, thanks. There's a little egg salad left in the refrigerator. I mean, really, it's no trouble. <laughs> Everything about this this movie was just, like, set up home run. Just every time it just... It just hit it. I loved it. It is a solid comedy. <laughs> now, pitching it, you're going to have to defend it. it is, <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, this is like, we're getting close to like 20 minutes into the film, and this is all that has happened. Like, most of this movie is weirdly Jeffrey Franken, by the way, Jeffrey Franken, talking to himself. Yeah. It's a, it's a big monologue. <laughs> Almost the whole movie. Now, does the drill show up here or is that later? Uh, it shows up just a little bit here, right? Here is when he, um, he goes to, goes to his garage and he yeah. pulls the, the, he has dinner 
with Elizabeth. <laughs> so the part of the news story that's interesting is um, most of her got shredded into, did they say the word mulch? Yeah, I think a, a human tossed salad. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Futurama <laughs> with just shreds, yeah. you say. They make special mention that her head was not ripped to shreds, but it is missing. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey goes to his garage, which by the way, they, they built that set larger on the inside on purpose. Right. They're like they wanted to create like this disassociation of like an area that's clearly large. He goes into the TARDIS garage, opens up his uh, freezer, and there's this purple liquid going growing in the freezer. We don't know what that is yet, but he fishes out of the freezer uh, Elizabeth's head, her foot, yep. a pinky. Yeah, I think there's part of an arm. Yeah, <laughs> like like just a couple pieces of it, and he sets them on a table, and he's dressed in his like his like Sunday best. And um, he has dinner with Elizabeth. Yeah. This <laughs> radiates strong serial killer vibes. <laughs> right? Which the, the fact that he has like Jeffrey Dahmer glasses and his name Jeffrey is not helping this scenario at all. And then the fact that he lifts her head up to pour wine down her throat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable sequence. It's supposed to be, but oh my God. Yeah, it's it's great. And then, yeah. And, uh, and then he busts out the... A little piece of paper for her. Uh, he's written a poem. It's a poem. A song of death. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I believe the, co- the poem is called um, Warning Contents oh. Under Pressure. Yeah, here, here it is. Warning Contents Under Pressure by Jeffrey Franken. My heart is packed so full of love for you that I dreamed I exploded like aerosol can sometimes do. I blew with such force that my bones became shrapnel and leveled the town, except the small chapel. My teeth flew like bullets. I didn't know what was happening. They killed everyone in sight, except for the chaplain. And then, thanks to him, we were happily wed, even though at the time I think we were both dead. The end. It's a poem. A song of death. <laughs> See? It all comes around. <laughs> it is phenomenal the poem plays. It, it It is better than any bit of poetry that was in Beyond Dream's Door. Uh, he worked with a co-writer on this, Bob Martin, who was the first editor of Fangoria magazine. So he reached out to Bob. Uh, I actually reached out to Bob with brain damage because he thought it would be fun to work with Bob. And he had Bob Martin write the novelization of the film Brain Damage. His instruction was he could do whatever he wanted, just make it weird. So uh, I do have to read that book at some point because it does not correspond one for one for the film, apparently. All right. But uh, (laughs) he was the co-writer on this, and they worked really well together. But Bob was the one who really wanted the poem in. Frank didn't think it would play, but... I, I liked it because it is just it, you're really because he plays his character so so dry that there is almost not a sense of how insane he's going in his delivery of his dialogue itself. So it has to be the dialogue itself that is so over the top, and he just says it with like no emotion, <laughs> and it's like, okay, this guy is a lunatic, and then he takes a step up. <laughs> And then part of that is the um like the delivery is like this this like ma- this like pro it's this constant stream that's like mumbling that's like mo- mud- mumbling throughout the whole thing so he's always saying stuff all the time just motor mouthing a lot yeah. of that was improvised but 
it was like like a one for one like he would he would come up with stuff and then what then frank saw was improvising so then like frank is like well if you're gonna do it you gotta do it this way you know so it was it was like some give and take but a lot of that was like coming up with in the moment yeah and i i I loved his delivery and everything. It it worked. It worked so well. There there are two standout performances in this movie, and one is Jeffrey, and the other is Elizabeth. And <laughs> and it, it, to me, it is shocking that neither <laughs> of them had any career beyond this in terms of like performance. It shouldn't be because this is the movie they were in. But like their talent is palpable. It's fan like like their their performances are genuinely good outside of the content. And it's a yeah, shame. it's it's. It's definitely one of those situations where if it was any other actor or actress in those roles, it just would not have that same drive. They just, it's like, it's perfect for them. It was. And it's a shame that movies like this kind of shackle you because of the content, right? Uh, right. Which is unfair because this movie deserves to exist. But also, these people deserve to have some kind of spotlight after the fact. But I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> the, the next thing that happens is he goes back. Uh, we're back in his room and he's planning mm. things out and he's trying to figure out I'm getting ahead of myself. No, I think you're right about the way he's trying to kind of troubleshoot something and he's trying to figure something out and he starts pointing at the picture on the brain. Is that where you were going? Yeah. He goes and he's yeah. like, and he's, he's, he's like, good night, 22. And he's just, he whips out <laughs> a drill. He takes this drill into the back of his head and it's a huge, it's a power drill when I say this and it's the, the, the needle is, is like, like it's like a foot long, and he just jams this into the back of his head and just drills into <laughs> it, and his eyes kind of roll back, and he just starts muddling, like this like, crazy shit comes out of his mouth, and he's like stewardesses, stewardesses, and it's like that's he's like trying to come up with ideas, and he's drilling into his brain to get them. Yeah. <laughs> Did this work for you? Because. <laughs> Because cause this is the part that nobody got on set. Like Frank kept saying, like, this is going to work. This is going to work. And everyone's like, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, not really. I mean, I get kind of what they were going for, mm-hmm. but not the actual. Yeah, it's. It, first of all, you, where, where, how was there no blood? Well, he said he, that was purposeful. He said it, I guess it, he's it, done it so many times. There's no more blood. Well, no, it's 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 he's trying to, to play it for laughs. And he said if he threw blood in this scene, it, it wouldn't be funny. You'd be focused on the gore. You wouldn't be focused on the joke, which is <laughs> that he's drilling into his head to come up with ideas. Because the, the next thing he says is after he, he says, oh, that's stupid. And then he finds a different spot in his head to drill in. So he gets a better idea. So I think it does and doesn't work because I think the whole bit is does not play. I really do. But it immediately makes you go, what the fuck am I watching? And you have already seen some shit to this point. <laughs> yeah, so like, you're not even a half hour in and you're like, what? This is around the 24 minute mark, I think. But like you have seen Brain and Jar. You've you've heard some stuff about amateur surgery. Someone gets shredded by a lawnmower. You've seen this person have dinner with the body parts of his fiance. <laughs> you have already seen while he's drilling into his own head but somehow by drilling into his head having all of that as a reference it still makes you go what the fuck am i watching it was it was almost like being on a roller coaster and all of this was just getting you up to the top (laughs) and it's just a batshit ride after that so drilling into his own head gave him the idea that women sell their body parts so he wants to go find some body parts to buy off women there are two thing, other things I want to point out. First, and we should have mentioned this before, he is not in New York. He is in Hohokus, New Jersey, which is across the river, right? Not too far. 
It's a drive-in, but he is in New Jersey. That becomes important later. The other thing is, uh, right before this, he's watching a weather report, and the (laughs) weatherman is played by fucking Zachary. Do you know who Zachary is? I don't. Without Zachary, there's no Elvira. Without Zachary, there's no uh, Svengulli. Zachary is is the first and foremost of the horror hosts. Um, and he actually, he was the voice of Elmer in Brain Damage. So he worked with Frank before. He, he was he wanted he wanted him to do the weather report as Zachary, like not the not like literally Zachary, but as if Zachary the character were doing the report. So it is like literally a weather report for mad scientists, and it's that there is a huge lightning storm coming either tomorrow or in two days. I forget because he's it's the next day from from when he sees this. So he's got a time limit. He's got to use the lightning storm to make it happen. But first, he's got to go get parts. Yes, which he decides to drive into New York City. New York City? <laughs> All right. And one of my favorite one of my favorite lines in this movie is delivery on it. As he's, he's driving around with binoculars, just looking at different prostitutes here and there. What a buffet. It's kind of hard to hear it over the music. But he says, what a buffet. He is a crazy character. And he is not, like, a good person, clearly. Like, we're they are broadcasting that from the get-go. What I, what I want to point out here is this movie has a very clear three-act structure. The first act is 24 minutes that we have just passed, right? It is the, the brief prologue setting up the premise that Elizabeth is dead and he, he's a mad scientist. And then it is, like almost 20 minutes of just him talking to himself with like a brief scene with his mother and then a brief scene talking to props as Elizabeth. Like that is, we are stuck with just Jeffrey Franken for almost half an hour and it works somehow. It really does. And that's act (laughs) one, which the fact that that happens is a magic trip, a magic trick. I can say the right word. And then this is the second act. He's got to go get the parts. And then the third act is he makes he makes his Frankenstein's monster. It's right. it's 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 so cleanly divided for a movie like this. It's nuts. It's yeah. It's very organized. The, and then, <laughs> not well, used to seeing that. One of the only other movies I've seen that have this clean of a like like three act structure where you can actually feel the act breaks as you watch it would be um, one cut of the dead. Which if anyone has not seen that. Please do. It's outside outside of trash cinema. Like it is legitimately one of the best movies I have ever seen. It's All fantastic. Right. It does this great magic trick from Act One to Act Two that makes it impossible for me to tell you what this movie is about. But um, uh, if you, yeah, I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, uh, it, it is hard for me to recommend a movie to you knowing the movies that I have recommended to you and trying to put <laughs> importance on this film, but. Like, for every winter beast, there is a New York ninja. For every things, there is a Frankenhooker. So you you do restore faith in me every once in a while. Listen, listen, it's not all gyms. I am out here in the, the mines digging for this shit. I'm here. <laughs> we will find the gyms, but you got to go through a lot of coal to get there. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so he was driving around with the binoculars, looking at the buffet of women, and he uh, he finally stops and sees one of the, uh, the main prostitute ladies who just promptly uh, whips her tits out and says, you know, just trying to pick him up, and he's 
he tells her that he needs more. He needs like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And she says, "I need the right. I need. I'm looking for some parts." And she says, he's, "She, she, she, um, she, she, she drops her top down and she goes, honey, not only do I have all <laughs> the right parts, I got them in all the right places.'" <laughs> and my God, what a great line! Right. <laughs> So he wants, he's like six or seven girls. I need him. I need him. But then he keeps whipping out this huge wad of money. So she has got him, right? She's like, okay. By the way, when he was looking, I, I should double back. He's looking at all of the sex workers and- um, The buffet, please. Yeah, that's what he says. He says buffet. He <laughs> says smorgasbord. Uh, do you know the scenes of the sex workers that we see? Are all real sex workers. They just dro- They just got in a van and just <laughs> drove by. <laughs> They're all credited on screen. Most of these people have SAG cards because of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're associate producers, so what do you know? <laughs> Check out Tales of the Dead Zone coming soon to a streaming service near you. The other thing about this is, uh, you know, I- I'll circle back around, but like, but there are there are there are actual sex workers um, in the movie, but there are they're in the establishing shots, right? They're in the scenes, they're in the, the, the landscapes. The, the 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 women that we see that he's trying to hire, all of the people with lines on screen, th- those are actresses. Right. They're, well, they're not sex workers, and they're actresses now. Um, <laughs> so he, so that's, that's, I just wanted to insert that. But he's going to the bar. Do you know what the bar was called? Uh crap! I forgot the name of it. It's like Huevos Grande or something. It's like big yeah, ass. something like that. <laughs> this bar is real. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a real bar that they found this to to to, uh, to uh, shoot in. Like a lot of this movie is just real. It's great. Were the, were the bathrooms real, or did they well, doctor them all of that? All of that's exaggerated. Like the the building itself okay, is real. The interior is real. Like the actors inside were like really like <laughs> sleezing it up to make it like this like nightmarish version of it. Right? It's it's like it, like sure it's New York, but it's like a cartoon version. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and to that end, yeah, the bathrooms are uh, doctored. Um, but she. <laughs> She, she so she she's going to arrange this this meetup with like seven or eight girls, but she's got to go talk to her pimp. She's got to go talk to Zorro. They're all Zorro's girls. Which, by the way, they're marked with a Z, and it, it does not look like a tattoo. It looks like a brand, which is a yeah. little, which is more than a little concerning. Um, but they go into they go through this like wall to wall sleaze bar, like like it is just like f- like 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 filth dripping off the walls like sex is stuffed into every frame of this photo um actually she's like we got to go to the like she looks at him says you got to go to the bathroom and he just looks and i think it's implied that he has an erection i don't know maybe i got the wrong (laughs) end of that joke but anyway they um they go to the bathroom the bathroom is where zorro is kind of conducting business (laughs) just hanging out just hanging out zorro by the way was in brain damage but he's not the same character it's just the same actor uh, Joseph Gonzalez is This is a wild scene. Do you want to describe what this bathroom looks like? <laughs> I don't even know if I could. Like, imagine like the dirtiest, seediest, nastiest like bar you've ever like pictured, and make it worse. There was like a scene where like there was a a guy having sex with a girl in the bathroom stall while some other guy was crammed in there with her or with both of them, and the door kept opening, so he just would pull it back shut. He was, wasn't even, like, watching them. <laughs> he was just sitting there. Yeah, it's a great gag. Shutting the door for him. <laughs> I think that's the problem. This is an expertly crafted comedy, but the content is not for everyone. It's so not only niche, but alienating that it was never going to work, right? It, it, it's not designed to have mass appeal. It's designed to be exactly what it is. It has an audience in mind. By God, it found its audience. 
Thank God for Shapiro Glickenhaus for producing this film <laughs> before they went out of business for producing this film. And, and, and the name might have been a little off-putting, Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker. Right? I'm sh- oh, yeah, it, it <laughs> really was. Uh, well, the MPAA didn't want to rate it. The, the head of the MPAA called them up and said, okay, I've got your rating. It's rated S for shit. <laughs> and then eventually they were like, well, we're going to rate it X. And we're like, don't rate it X. Well, we're going to rate it X. This is what you got to cut out. And they didn't cut it out. They just didn't take a rating. I think eventually they, they did they did release it an R-rated version in for some circulation, but the movie that we saw is the original unrated, which is right. the, the, the most widely distributed version of it. In this bathroom, <laughs> Zorro, who, by the way, is fucking huge, man. <laughs> He's just ripped. Mother of God. If, 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 if last week we had, when Parasite went home, one of the least fuckable protagonist ever. <laughs> but Zorro's standing there, like bare, like, like like one of those ripped chests down the, shirts down the middle, like like a completely unbuttoned, has this huge gold medallion that says Z, standing there completely stoic in the middle of all this sex and drug chaos. There is a guy ranting biblical hellfire on the right hand side of him, and, and he just like ev- like eventually he's had enough of that dude ranting about like whatever he's saying, and he just like whips out. Um, a bag of crack, just very like, <laughs> yeah, just very like commandingly, just like, but I, I wish I had a way of conveying over audio, the visual signal that he does. It's just very, just like matter of fact and like silence, like here's your crack. And then he just gives him the money and then walks away. Yeah. The whole second act was visual. There's a lot, there's <laughs> a lot of one from one to another. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of visuals in there, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we, we will help you through this podcast. Bear with us. <laughs> It's going to be great. She goes over. She arranges the whole thing. And he comes back. And Zoro comes back to Jeffrey. And he's like, you want to throw a party? You want girls? It's going to cost you. He's like, I got money. And then he says, because he's noticed that all of these girls and all of these people just need that little bag of crack. That he's his bag of crack, bag of crack, bag of crack. He's been handing them out this whole time. It's like, hey, how much for one of those little bags? And then we cut back to his lap. So he yes. has now arranged the meetup later tonight, and he's working on something. We get to a daytime talk show. It's a parody of the Morton Downey Jr. show, which is some sort of like mm-hmm. daytime talk show hosted by. I, who I, I remember assume, that one. I don't remember it. I just mm-hmm. looked it up, and it's important to note that at a certain time in history, you could smoke on a daytime television like that, <laughs> right? Um, because he did, uh, but you can't now. Um, so he is condemned. So the person he is talking to, her name is Casey. She is a sex worker. She is from Basket Case, Brain Damage, Basket Case 2, Basket Case 3, and this movie. <laughs> the most consistent character um, in the entire Frank Hennenlotter stock company. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> She's being played by Beverly Bonner. Beverly Bonner is so committed to this character. She wrote a play about Cassie called cassie 30 years later <laughs> that's awesome yeah so um she's she is putting she's having the argument that sex work should be legalized so that it frees people from the dangers of violence and drugs which is a good argument and morton downey jr or the character who is who's parodying that is like all on it. it's like he's like well what if the taxpayers have to pay for the hotels right <laughs> and then oh, yeah. he, he talks then they start talking about crack and 
the audience laughs, and then we cut to Jeffrey. In the lab. And he is manic, his hair is pushed back. He just screams, don't laugh. Don't laugh. She's right. That shit's killing him. <laughs> yeah. And Justin, what is Jeffrey doing? He is making super crack. He is making super crack. <laughs> so the reason this... I'm sorry, go ahead. I think he's he's doing it so it will kill the hookers faster. No. So they don't suffer? I don't... I don't. Or he just knew that would, it would something would happen. Well, I know it is... I know what happened to his little test subject, but I don't know what he thought was going to happen. So let's talk about what, how it functions. <laughs> how it functions is this. Bob and Frank realize at, at a certain point that, that you need Jeffrey to still be somewhat sympathetic to, be, to keep going along with the rest of the film. But if he starts murdering um, sex workers left and right and chopping them up for body parts kind of lose the ability to feel sorry or, or not feel sorry, but to empathize at all. I agree. Jeffrey. Yeah. So their solution was what if Jeffrey didn't kill them? They said, it was what the drugs, it, man. What if it was the drugs? Now, a couple things happen with this one. The way they go about it eventually does kind of work. Cause you are still on board with Jeff with, with watching where Jeffrey's going at the end. But in this first sequence, when he comes up with the idea, he is explaining that that's what he is doing. He is justifying it to himself. Like, well, if, if the crack kills them, I didn't. I just gave it to them. It was just there. I didn't make them smoke crack. They did it. They could just say no, which is also a pot shot at Nancy Reagan specifically. Yeah. Nice. Is, you know. But even, even he has a hard time rationalizing that he's about to kill hookers with super crack. So he takes a drill back to the brain <laughs> to erase those little bad thoughts again. We re-try uh, this in real time later. Um, but right now, that's his justification. And then he tests out the super crack by testing it on a hamster, but he like he, he cooks all of the crack. And then he pumps it into a bellows into an open-air cage. <laughs> yeah. So I question Jeffrey's scientific method. He got the results he wanted, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I the results are the the hamster blew up. Yes. <laughs> so, and now it's now it's now it's the night. Now, keep in mind from the timeline, he has to go get the body parts from all of these women. God, this movie gets harder and harder to talk about before we go along, right? <laughs> like, I promise, it sounds so much worse than it is. Okay. <laughs> when I watched this movie the first time, we watched about half of it with I watched it with my partner. And about halfway through, before right before he starts killing people, she got up because she was, me and her were both concerned about how bad this movie was going to get. She's like, I don't, I don't want to watch this. It's going to be bad. Um, but then I watched the movie. It's not bad. It's it's not for everyone, but it's 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 actually got a really great ending, all things considered. So I tell her yeah. about it, and she's like, okay, well, when you watch it again, because we were watching it again at that point, she's like, I want to watch it. So I put it on a couple nights later and I say, hey, we're watching again. You want to come see? She's like, yeah, but I saw the first half. Just call me when he's picking up hookers. <laughs> and which is where we're at right now. This is both the most difficult and most amazing sequence that we are about to talk about. And this is this is the party that he has paid for. And again, the part that I was trying to get around to that I probably did a wild tangent is 
he has to get these body parts and build Elizabeth before the lightning storm that is happening tonight. Right. So he's so not great he's, at planning. No. And he decided he's going to have this, this, this party, but he's just going to choose the one woman that's the most perfect of them all. So he needs to find out which one is the most perfect. And, and he takes some measurements. Yep. That's all. And he takes, he measures everything. All of them. <laughs> and this is the scene we get. And by the way, this is the film. This When the, when people condemn this film, they used the clips from this scene. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Out of context, it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's, even in context, it's, it's pretty horrible in context. It's because it's supposed to be horrible. Right. Although, I mean, thank God they didn't get around to him just like actually, they didn't use the parts of him actually just perusing disembodied body parts later. But it's <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it's, it's, it's played with such hilarity like like you've got the scene that's like that stupid taylor swift video where it's all like the girls that are kind of lined up and he's like crawling between their legs just measuring just measuring thighs measuring legs and everything um the one scene where he's measuring he's looking at the girl's boob really close up and he's got the magnifying glass on his eye and then he just pushes it in just to test to see how bouncy it is did you did you know what he says when he does that what oh god yeah oh i wrote it down but i forgot what it was now awesome utterly awesome (laughs) it's utterly awesome and then (laughs) then he bounces and he says nice buoyancy too yeah (laughs) there is a scene in this part where they literally they literally start this the cut with a close-up of this woman's ass and then pan out (laughs) and he puts a check mark on it He, by the way, he's funding this. When he when he decides that he's going to get the money to do this, he goes, I do have my Christmas club account. <laughs> yeah. That's how you pay for hookers. Oh, that's, I'm sorry. This, this is the part I, I wanted to, to, to add in oh, real yeah. quick. Uh, all of the actresses in this film uh, are in this sequence. Everyone playing uh, sex workers, they were all strippers. The thing was, is all of the actresses, because this was a Guild movie and this was his first Guild movie, all of the actresses that SAG was sending to him, they didn't want to do nudity. So Frank Henlotter was like, well, what am I going to do? So he decides he's just going to go to a strip bar and talk to the strippers and see who wants to be in his movie. (laughs) Hey, want to be in a movie? Mm-hmm. And he, well, he was kind of self conscious about that too. He's like, "What am I going to be doing? I'm going to walk into this bar and just be like, hey, do you want to be in my film?'" Yeah. It's like it's terrible. Uh, it's uh, actually, I think the strip club was called Billy's Topless Bar, so I don't think it's still around. But if you want to know where that, where where all of the talent came from, <laughs> all right. So, and now all of these women have sad cards. <laughs> Working ladies. God damn it, Dustin. <laughs> do you? I don't know if you have the sound clip here or if you have it later, if you grabbed it at all, but I, I love the fact that she's like, hands it up, everyone. This here's Jeffrey. He's Jer- Jersey boy. Dr. Jersey boy. <laughs> I did not pull that one, but yeah. It's, it's great because it gets said like 50,000 more times. And it just, Jersey boy. Dr. Jersey boy. And it does not get less funny to me. Um, none of the things that um, that Elizabeth says gets less funny to me, over time, <laughs> even though it's like repeated ad nauseum. So yeah, he's got all these women, but he or he can't make up his mind because you know he sees he's he's torn, right? He's like, there's a perfect leg over here, a perfect breast over there. What am I gonna do? Right. And, and there's a time limit on this party. They all have to go to the street. There's only supposed to be one that stays, and it's it's this big pressure. And he's like, he's like, what do you, what do you what are you talking about? Money? He talks. He's like, what are you talking about? Money? 
love his accent. I, I definitely can't do it. <laughs> Talk about human life. And he's like, here's here's your money. And he's, he takes his out of his bag. He just starts throwing money. The girls grab the bag. And in the bag is the super crack. Super crack. At this point, Jeffrey is kind of realized that he's not going to be able to kill yeah. these women. And he isn't going to be able to go through with this plan, which is, this is how they are, from a script writing perspective, firstly, introducing the concept and justifying it earlier and then criticizing it. And now they're circling back in a way to separate Jeffrey from it entirely. So you're still on board. And what he does is he realizes he can't go through with his plan, but then he's helpless to stop his plan from happening anyway, because um, the women, when they find the drugs, they are going to smoke it. They pin him down to the bed. They pin him so down to the bed. He cannot get up mm-hmm. and smoke all of his super crack. And Zoro, by the way, is downstairs getting antsy this entire time because the time limit's kicking. He's like, what are you doing? You're wasting my time. I need my girls on the street. I need my buddy. All right? So right. that's happening. But he's being pinned down to the bed. And they're throwing a party. And they're all smoking the drugs and throwing the party. He's like, no, you can't. And this the best part about Jeffrey is he's so puritanical despite the horrendous thing he is doing which (laughs) is i guess actually probably accurate to a lot of people but like they put on rock and roll to dance around to and jeffrey goes not the devil's music (laughs) uh it's the best life and then he's like homophobic too because some of the girls are starting making out on the bed and he's like no your body wasn't meant to do that so he's homophobic He's repressed. He hates rock and roll music. That was the worst making out scene ever. It's such a a juxtaposition of what he is and what he was about to do, right? Now, here's the thing about this scene. (laughs) Okay, so when Frank made Basket Case, Basket Case also had this thing where um, to fund their revenge, he had just like a wad of money that they kept taking out and spending. But that wad of money was the film's budget. They, and (laughs) whenever they spent it, they, on stuff for the film, they would have to wait a couple months and shoot it again. Like Basket Case shot over a period of months because they were financing the film in real time <laughs> while they were shooting it. But they still delivered it in less than a year, Winter Beast. <laughs> can't rush art. You can't. That's true. This was Frank's first... Like, this is his biggest budget to date. This is a $1.5 million film. They blew most of that budget. <laughs> on this upcoming scene right here? On this upcoming scene because... What... Super crack does is it makes you blow up. Yeah. And there are roughly eight women in this room who are about to literally explode on camera. So that's where all the money went. Yeah. And I gotta I gotta say, yeah, so first it kinda started off with just one hooker blowing up and then they all freak out and they all subsequently start <laughs> start blowing up. The transition that they did from person to like mannequin that they're blowing up was done really, really well. I mean, you could question the actual look of the mannequins that were blowing up as far as, you know, a lot of them look fake. But actually, this transition between person to prop was uh, was really good. Yeah, there's only one or two, like, really rough cuts. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, oh, man. Then that one girl who, like, like, like tilted her head to the side, that was, like, the roughest cut. Oh, and then yeah. when they're reaching for the door, that's the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the way they did it is like they have, they have mannequins, double body doubles for all of the girls and they, they're, they're acting like they're in distress and then they do a quick rough cut with a one, two swap. And then they blow up the mannequin with actual fireworks, 
Like it, they look like they look like fireworks. It's just like, yeah. And it is an insane sequence. It's fucking there's, nuts. <laughs> there's there's one point when which when which uh, a woman blows up and her leg flies across the room and takes out a lamp, and you're and you're struck stuck on the POV of the leg as a missile. <laughs> I called it the flying foot cam. So that was a hell of a sequence. And yeah. like it's it is just they're just destroy this is a set by the way, obviously, and they are destroying it. And then Zoro finally has enough and he opens the door just as the last girl explodes and her head rockets through the room and hits his head and knocks him out. <laughs> so here's the thing about Frankenhooker. If you weren't gonna like this movie before, you definitely weren't gonna like it now. But if you were kind of on board it certainly gave you a show if you stuck around this long. Absolutely. Like I was saying, it just kept warning you, like, are you sure you want to do this? It's just going to get a little fucking weirder. I have seen some seriously crazy fucking movies in my life. I own more than a thousand films in my home. <laughs> and that is not close to the amount of, of just crazy trash that I have seen. And I say this more to qualify my statement than to brag because it's not a brag. I have dedicated a lot of my life to movies that no one <laughs> would ever want to watch. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but it is who I am. The thing is, I have never seen anything quite like this. It is, it stands out. It is a hell of a scene in terms of just originality and just what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And uh, it was all madness from this point on mm -hmm. like it was just yeah it was great because this is this is the end of act two what happens next is he picks up all of the girls body parts in the trash bags and brings them back to new jersey in another comedy sequence but he brings them back to new jersey gets to the lab and now he is going to build elizabeth and this is the start of act three by the way he has promised the the room of dead women that he is going to bring them all back with his and this is important because they keep saying it over and over again the purple goo in the freezer is his estrogen based blood serum mm -hmm. and it's extremely important that everyone remembers it is an estrogen, <laughs> estrogen based <laughs> blood serum which by the way i have issues with on the back end but he's he's using parts to build his fiance but then he promises to bring them back just missing a part <laughs> like, sorry, you got no chest. I, I don't know how he's gonna make that one work. <laughs> yeah, the movie doesn't care about logistics because no. what how he is building his Franken woman is he is slathering um the 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 serum onto the body parts like like with a paintbrush like quick dry cement, ramming them into the the next adjoining body part and welding them together with a literal welder. <laughs> he's got like a bucket full of legs yeah and stitches come in a platter like, full of boobs he has a plate full of <laughs> boobs which was a much more which would have been a much more objectionable scene than than the party scene a minute ago if they really wanted to condemn this film because if you're right. talking about objectifying women they are literally doing that <laughs> yes which again is the point of the film but also not in a way that is like not also leaning into it yeah here's the thing about horror um you gotta kind of take the good with the bad somebody was i actually saw a twitter discussion on earlier in the week and i i want to to state that that some of this was not my own original thought but they were they were they were talking about how this genre like horror fans kind of just like embrace everything and someone someone wrote this which is why i, I wish i could remember their name because there's no way of going back in the feed but what they said was that yeah horror fans will say that sleepaway camp is both transphobic and also good representation and i'm like exactly it is 
That's the problem yeah. with horror is it's both. It's it's like horror is like life. <laughs> it's everything all at once and it's imperfect and it's a beautiful mess, but it, you're got, you get rough stuff and you get good stuff. And it's to degree to which you can put up with both is to the degree to which you can watch the movie you're about to see. Maybe I'm being too poetic about fucking Frankenhooker, but it is like, <laughs> it, it's kind of a golden rule across the whole genre. Frankenhooker does this thing where they're like, we're going to criticize this, but we're also going to do it. And to what extent can you put up with that? And if you can't, that's fine. But this is what the movie is. Yeah, this is the, they've given you several warnings up until this point. And what you're in for. <laughs> the thing about the legs is he just picks. He's like, I need a leg. I need a leg. And he, and he picks two different <laughs> legs. He, he's really into fishnets, by the way, which I mean, same. I've got a yeah, couple. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's. It, well, that's the thing. It's like, what if they're off kilter in terms of like height at this point? You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he takes his shoe off and, and he goes, oh, no, bunions. And he starts grinding it off with a file, <laughs> which, by the way, that's in the bone. That's not going to come on, Jeffrey. <laughs> and then he takes it's out Elizabeth's head and he, he's ready to go. I'm not going to ruin all the jokes, but he like he goes ahead and he puts her together and he's like, OK, let's start. Which, by the way, if you're looking in the background, there is uranium 238 just in the background. Oh really? It says that, and on one of on one of like the vats, <laughs> like this is a proper mad scientist lab. It is insane. Yeah, when he takes her head out of the little uh, ice chest filled with the estrogen blood serum, whatever the hell, and he tosses all the hooker parts back in there, and he that's where he tells him that he'll he'll be back to take care of them. <laughs> and then then he um then he lifts, oh he lifts. I do actually have an important part to say in a minute, but he li- he he raises the platform into the sky. Comically high. Comically high. He 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 pulls a lever <laughs> and his garage or his mother's garage opens up at the top and this platform goes <laughs> comically high into the side. It is not it is like it is not inconspicuous. Everyone can see that some shit is going on. <laughs> and it's a good fifty feet above the house. And lightning's gonna hit mm-hmm. lightning hits the platform to reanimate Elizabeth. And also it travels all the way down and it hits the freezer full of body parts in his estrogen-based blood serum. And then also, it just tears through the lab with all these explosions, right? Here's the thing. They had already used most of their budget on the last scene where people exploded. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have money for licensed pyrotechnics <laughs> for this right. scene. What they did was Frank Hinnenlauter found um, a pyrotechnics engineer less than official to come and do this scene. Uh, so he basically just called in a fa- favor for unlicensed pyrotechnics work. I mean, if you're giving strippers sag cards, you sometimes just hire someone to do some pyrotechnics. Yeah, and Lorenz, um, uh, the guy playing Jeffrey, he, he distinctly uh he, he is quoted at one point as saying that he remembers the engineer who set all this up saying, don't worry, it's maybe safe. <laughs> maybe safe. <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful world of exploitation cinema. Yes. <laughs> Your safety is a concern, <laughs> but not yeah. the concern. <laughs> yeah, because it'll cost a lot to replace you as a mm-hmm. worker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really the only concern. That is... More or less, exactly. Where, where else we are. are we going to find another dumbass to do this for the little amount we're paying you? Is there a concern? <laughs> right. Well, they were they were they were all sex, so they're at least getting scale. I don't know what that is, but I know it probably sucks. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> probably. Um, I'll say this about Frank. Um, when he hired Zachary for brain damage, it, when he was looking for all the people to, to voice his puppet, you know, everyone's at, everyone's name was there and they're asking fee was there. And he saw Zachary Lee. He's like, I have to get Zachary Lee. But he saw his, at, his asking fee and he's like, well, that's too little. I can't pay Zachary Lee that. So he doubled his asking fee before hiring him. So there is some degree of, cons- of consideration into paying people. I don't know to what that extends to paying strippers to play your sex workers in your movies before you explode them. I can't say that he's a saint here. I don't know. Could 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 not, but I am saying he hasn't left. He has he has at least been documented as not leaving people in the lurch. And um, there are people that keep coming back to work for him time and time who have other careers. <laughs> it's always a good sign when they have the other career too. It's not just like they need it. Like come on. Well, you're not going to make a living as an actor if you're in a Frank Kennelot movie. Very clearly. Well, I say that. Um, the star of Brain Damage was apparently a huge soap opera store for like 20 years. So, oh. um, and Brain Damage was his first movie. So there are ways of getting out and about. <laughs> it, it helps if you're not in a movie called Basket Case or you're not in a movie called Frankenhooker. If you're in one called Brain Damage, probably a little bit more leeway. Yeah, brain damage, you can get away with that. That could be like a medical drama. You don't quite know what that might be. <laughs> Frankenhooker, there's no hiding what that is. Speaking of Frankenhooker, finally get Frankenhooker. Yeah, the platform lowers down, and he's got the sheet all over her, and then out pops. Want a date? Going out? Looking for some action? Need some company? No, wait, wait, huh? It's, it's Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Got any money? Money? No, I don't. I don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, she just knocks it out. So what has gone wrong here is the lightning brought her back, but it didn't bring back Elizabeth's brain. She seems to be kind of like an amalgamation of all of the women he just killed. And all of her line in the dialogue is like a soundboard of lines that they said earlier. Yes. Everything. <laughs> By the way, the one a day, got any money, want some action, the stuff that they used to holler out at Frank Kennenlotter as he was going back and forth to edit movies from his studio. <laughs> so... That's that's that is that is we'll say authentic dialogue. Right. I want to take a moment here and recognize Patty Mullen. Patty Mullen. She was she worked for Penthouse for a while. She was a Penthouse pet of the year. Um. So she had a history of like like pinup girl type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the, she only made two movies. She made Doom Asylum before this, which I have to now watch because of, of her performance in this. And then she made this movie. And I just want to say she's really good actress she's hilarious her her role as elizabeth in the first part of the movie where she's like like throwing out all these lines in her um and everything is great there and then when she's does this part of the film she just commits all in and it's all visual comedy she's making weird facial expressions she's giving all of these lines that women said earlier she's delivering them as if she were a sounding bar she bored she is like a soundboard she's like she's like saying all the lines in different octaves mid-sentence she's jerking her body she's doing all these weird visual cues she's fully committed to this comedic performance and it's amazing frank said for years later when patty would call him up um if 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 he missed the phone call and she and she went to his voicemail she'd go instead of saying hello she'd be like want a date looking for some action as a matter of fact the vhs case okay the vhs case was a stroke of brilliant from um um Shapiro Glickenhaus, and I don't know who came up with this, but 
the VHS, it, it, it's, it's not a clamshell. It is a paper VHS, but it has like an insert, right? So the cover of the VHS, when you push a button, it says that to you. <laughs> nice. It says one a day looking for some action when you push the button. Best VHS case of all time. Oh yeah. Like the marketing for that alone is amazing. Not that video stores were gonna release an unrated movie called Frankenhooker, but to the purveyors of such fine films. It's like some William Castle shit. <laughs> also, I'm just gonna give a shout out to a friend of mine who when I told him about this movie earlier, he Googled it and he said Patty Mullen, because he recognized Patty Mullen. And he's younger than me. So I know you're listening to this podcast. This one's for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of shocked that she she wasn't anything else. She had and I mean, she was the, the, the perfect compliment to the guy that played Jeff, because, again, she was very comedic and but very straight and not like trying to be funny and very likable. And like as but as she's as she is right now, she is Frankenhooker. She is an amalgamation of sound bites who is just going on autopilot um, down the street, going back to where uh, they just came from, which by the way is like Times Square. It's 42nd street during its heyday. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a lot of the stuff in New York Ninja was shot here. Like this is where things happen. That's this a crossover a that we need. God damn it. We had New York Ninja <laughs> New York meets Frankenhooker. Oh man. <laughs> 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 Greatest movie ever made. So she goes back and she is just going through the motions and she picks up a John and she goes back to the hotel. Right. And she's just and running. John, that looks like the dude from human centipede, by the way. I didn't want to think about it. <laughs> Stop. He was so much funnier than that. Please. No, because it's not the first human centipede you're referencing. That's the second one. <laughs> the I would say the worst one, but after the second one, I didn't come around for for part three. I don't know. Oh, I know it probably got worse. I know what I'm thinking. <laughs> don't you dare. How are we going to talk about that movie for 90 minutes? Come on. The, the, the movie yeah, is what it hours. says it is. It would be a three hour long podcast. Uh, but so she is electrified. Mm -hmm. She has got volts running through her. So when she goes back to the hotel, we didn't, we didn't say this. She's entirely purple. Like, yeah, like her skin is 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 normal skin, but like, except for like her her face is all like horror movie white. But her she's got a purple wig on. She's got a purple bra on. She's got a purple skirt. Does she have a purple skirt on? Did he just yes. put those on her before he brought her back to life? I think she turned purple. But where did the purple then, underwear I, and purple bra come from? I I don't know, but <laughs> but this is the point i'm getting to it's like the hulk man mm -hmm. where did the purple shorts come from all right but when she gets naked when she takes off her bra <laughs> yeah her her nipples are also purple yeah so it's not a wardrobe choice it is something that the estrogen-based blood serum and electricity did i think it's like a bruise you know after you get like injured you got your skin kind of turns no for a bit? no I, I say this because <laughs> there was also a scene in which uh, there was frontal nudity and she had purple. Uh, they cut that because they felt it was too gratuitous and kind of ruined the comedy the same way the blood yeah. does. And I, I tend to agree. They do imply it though. Yeah. Like, cause like he does like a double take, right? She has sex with him and she electrifies him <laughs> and, and he explodes. And she has the check mark on her ass. But yeah, the, the electricity shoots through him. Mm -hmm. That was a great scene mm -hmm. too with the, in his teeth. It's, it's hilarious. Around. He's got he's got dialogue that's hilarious. He's he's fun to watch because he's like just like so excited. This is the best day of his life, and he's genuinely seems like a happy, like a happy character. I, I don't know how you want to take that in context of what is happening, 
but sit, watching him explode with that attitude is really quite fun. I mean, he he died doing what he loves. Okay, so um, Jeffrey has given chase. By the way, we did see Casey again briefly in the subway, and I think Frank Kennenlauter put himself in the subway scene too, but I can't remember where. Okay. But um, uh, he's given chase. He's back in Jersey. People know that he shouldn't be in Jersey. They're like, well, a doctor was just here and exploded a room full of Zorro's <laughs> girls. Did you do it, right? Yeah. Well, so after the dude gets electrocuted, she walks out of the hall and some dude, some other guy tries to like assault her in the hallway and forcefully kisses her. And then his head blows up. Uh, and then there's that weird scene at the at the bar when Zorro's buddy was like trying to go trying to go down on her underneath the table or something. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he exploded. Yeah. And then Zorro, here's the one clip I had for you here when uh, Zorro finds her. Who the fuck are you? How come you don't find me in Jersey Boy? This ain't your tattoo. This ain't your arm. Where'd you get this arm? This is one of my bitches' arm. Who the fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) So he punches her head clean off and lightning shoots out throughout the entire bar and everyone runs out screaming jeffrey shows up and he runs into the bar there's a great line in which he where he's where a street preacher is talking about the whore of babylon and jeffrey goes where is she and he points to the bar in the bar with another great it's accent like, thanks it's great that's the thing it, the jokes are great they just don't pay it draw attention to the yes. jokes <laughs> Which, like, when you do that and then you have the content that you have, you're really narrowing your market. But your audience that, that finds it is going to love this it. This is right? one of those movies where if you just made a, made a few different edits, it would not be, like, funny at all. But it did the yeah. edits in the right well, way. Well, that, that's the thing. He doesn't consider his films horror movies as in fiction or comedies. They all use both. But Frank Hennelotter says specifically that he makes exploitation films by his own definition. Um, We'll define exploitation later when we talk about other movies, but like, when you say it, when you say it, it's not as bad as what it sounds like it is, you know, (laughs) but when, but it's a fairly broad category, right? It just means that some weird shit is going down. His justification for framing it is, is is about attitude. And this movie has that because oh, yeah. like this whole thing is like fuck the censors <laughs> fuck just, fuck the moral this is what i want to see i'm doing it he's like i want to see some weird shit i want to see some violent shit i'd like to see some sex and f- and and if it, you've got to stick up your ass then fuck you it's kind of his, his thing now, if you like this movie it doesn't necessarily mean you have a stick if you don't <laughs> like this movie it doesn't necessarily mean you have a stick up your ass i'm saying from his filmmaking perspective that is more or less what is going on here especially with his you know his attitude towards like every every institution he's depicting in this film and also to like, you know, to the movie industry as a whole, to the MPAA, which he feels is a completely useless organization, which I kind of agree with. They're just, they are moralists who have weird, obscure like opinions about shit instead of having strict, like the idea of a rating system is fine because you need to like have guidance for, for parents and stuff. I get that, but like it needs to have like strict criteria instead of just what this person finds offensive at this right. point in time. Fuck right. that. But anyway, he finds Elizabeth, he takes her back to New Jersey and he's going to try and fix her. So he sews her up and he zaps her full of electricity again. But Zorro is following them because he saw Jeffrey come in the bar and he saw her take, take Elizabeth who he's already suspicious of. So, uh, he has stalked them back to the home and he shoots Elizabeth up with electricity and, this time it works. He, he's put bolts in her neck this yeah. time. And for whatever reason, her her brain comes online and it's Elizabeth again. Right. Finally herself, not not Frankenhooker. Abby someone. Yes. 
So she. <laughs> but then he gets uh, he gets one nice look at her. Well, before that, <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to point out this is the part of the movie that sells it, right? Because the whole movie's been has been wild. So if you're on for the ride, you're on for the ride. But if you, this is the part that sells the idea that it is actually saying anything at all, and that is. She, 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 she's happy to, she's confused that she was dead. She's happy to be alive. She believes in, she loves and believes in Jeffrey wholeheartedly. They established that in the first scene. So when Jeffrey tells her, I just brought you back from life. She's like, um, that's amazing. Of course you could do right. it. Right. You know, and in comes Zorro. <laughs> yeah. Well, hold oh, on. All right. She realizes that her body parts are not her body parts. Hmm. And she is deeply, um, betrayed and offended by this and uh jeffrey says you know there wasn't a lot of you left i I did what i had to do you know it was a little unorthodox but we're together and i love you and we'll be together forever right and then zoro comes in (laughs) and chops his head off no one clean no 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 real huge like setup to it no like it just hops Mm -hmm. in no struggle just Chops his head right off. Then they start like fighting around, and then the real payoff happens. Right. So what what happens here is he 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 he's going to try and take Elizabeth back because he figures that he owns her because he because he owned all of the women that are quote unquote that that uh, her parts came from. Right. So this is this is you know, a pimp being a pimp. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're all the freezer topples over, and all of the body parts that were struck by lightning in in the vat of um serum have come to life and have molded together into like hideous monstrosities and they're all coming for zoro in a scene that's eerily more reminiscent of like the reanimator films which we keep coming back to and i really need to stop referencing them but uh, they, they keep showing up right <laughs> and specifically reanimate bride of reanimator is the one i am referencing here um which is again the better film but they have the same thing where there's a whole bunch of monstrosities to do with it. That, that was so fantastic. They, they, there was some good good nice little uh, effects work going on in there oh yeah absolutely absolutely solid effects work it's 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 mind-boggling the the the, the, the what you're seeing on screen visually it's like oh my god at the end of everything that you've been through this movie is a roller coaster right um they they attack zoro and they um bring him back into the freezer and the freezer shuts. It's implied that they're going to kill him, but like they don't actually show any of that. Mm-hmm. And it ends with um, the line, what a stem. <laughs> and that's the end of Zorro. <laughs> the hookers drag him back. But it's the little creature work that they do on all of these like hooker parts is fantastic. I really just, it's one of those things you just got to experience for yourself to see it. But man, is it, it's, it's, it's as grotesque as you can think of in every little weird way that they can put parts together. Jeffrey, before he died, mentioned that he kept meticulous notes and he mentioned his blood serum, his estrogen based blood serum, which he said, which she said, this is a miracle that you bring people back to life. He's like, it's, my blood serum is estrogen based. I can only bring back women. That is not how that works, <laughs> but that is still, that is, that is, that is how the movie is portraying it. Right. But I mean, come on. The, the, it also, they just slathered the serum on and well, so it's, it's all a cartoon, right? But she uh, she picks up his head and she goes, Jeffrey, I have an idea. And so the next sequence, she has brought Jeffrey back to life. <laughs> and this the same exact dialogue from before gets mirrored, only he's offended now. And she is throwing it back at him. 
in a mocking patronizing way like there wasn't a lot of you left and with your estrogen based body parts you know we had to i had you couldn't use zoro's body or your body but i used living parts you used all the the parts that were alive in the freezer to make him a new body that is a woman's body yes. and he is he's like where's my johnson and what have you done to me what are, where do these boobs come from what have you done, Elizabeth? And she goes, well, you know, what I've done may be a bit unorthodox, but you're alive <laughs> and I love you and we're together. And he just screams. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. The ending is amazing to me. Like the whole film is great, but the ending just like puts a puts a button on it. And you're like, it, it, it really was. And then, yeah, it was just it was it didn't need to go any further. <laughs> no, it ended exactly where, where, where it should we're have. We're good. <laughs> Actually, the movie is an hour and twenty-four minutes. So if you watch it, you will be finished before this podcast. <laughs> that is true. I will say a couple of things about how Frank and Alaric's career ends after this, and that is he doesn't make he makes he makes this and Basket Case two back to back. He makes Basket Case three the year later. He doesn't make a film again for seventeen years. The next film is called Bad Biology. This is the only movie he made that doesn't start with a B. The next, it's about people with deformed, mutated genitalia finding love. I don't know. <laughs> All right. As so he so he has never strayed from his core conceit, right? Of just being as weird as possible. Like in one of the Basket Case movies, I think I think Belial, the 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 tumor puppet pilots and mech I'm pretty sure he does that. So it just makes he makes he makes these demented cartoons, right? Um, I haven't seen Bad Biology. I can't comment on that. The 90s were not great for exploitation films. Uh, Shapiro Glickenhaus goes out of business, so he can't get funding for a lot of these movies. Also, he said that he wanted to make more experimental films than this, and I can't imagine movies being more experimental (laughs) than the movies he was already making. Uh, But he has described himself as a, quote, strange little person. So at least he knows who he this is. This is true, yeah. But he truly loves movies and he truly loves the exploitation movies, these type of movies, sex exploitation movies. He took a job with um God, I can't remember the name of the company now, but they they basically preserve films, exploitation and sex exploitation films, like the old nudie cuties and nudist camp films, like the pre porn mm-hmm. films, that shit. Which we're going to talk about those to an extent when we talk about Herschel Gordon Lewis. It's disturbing to me how often I keep coming back to the history of porn, <laughs> the history of film, but they're related. Yeah, a lot of crossover there. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, but like the, the, the movies before before they the, like porn went mainstream, like like the stuff they they put nudity on screen and that was the point of the movie or as close as they could get. That's so nudie cuties is what they would call them, right? And the genre is a little more specific than that. There's more that I should get into, but that's what he's preserving. He's like a film archivist and restoration person. And then he started making documentaries. He made uh, he made a documentary on sexploitation films. He made a documentary on Herschel Gordon Lewis. He made a documentary on a comic books artist who was like one of the only people put in jail for obscenity in art. Uh, it's called Boiled Angels. I haven't seen that either. So he's made a whole bunch of documentaries in the last few years that sound really interesting. That's mostly and what it. was what was Troma's involvement in this movie? Oh, they acquired uh, um, Superior Glickenhaus's um, back catalog after they went out of business. Okay. I don't know at what point they acquired it. And I don't. Okay, so here's my problem with getting a copy of if you want to watch Frankenhooker, it is available on Shutter. It is available for sh- streaming on amazon prime like you can you can purchase to own you can get a copy digitally right and streaming free on a plex i saw it on there 
owning a physical copy, which is something that I desperately wanted to, seems more difficult because I couldn't find I couldn't find a Blu-ray that was coded to our region. Uh, there was a listing on Amazon for a multi-region, I mean a multi-format uh, release, but it wasn't an inventory. I can't find a DVD, a VHS. I um, I I don't know who has the rights to this now. Like what? Like I think Troma still has the rights to some of this material because they have Maniac Cop merchandise on their website. I was there earlier today, but I couldn't find Maniac Cop. I just found Maniac Cop merchandise. There was no Frankenhooker. There was no Frankenhooker anything there. So I don't know who has the rights to this film. I would love for like Arrow or uh, Grindhouse releasing or blue underground or vinegar syndrome or shout factory or anyone to release a solid physical copy of this <laughs> film because i would spend an ungodly amount of money to own it <laughs> but that that's my disease <laughs> yeah. i'll say this um let me quickly do our murder she wrote spotlight Ooh, we have some spotlights here huh all you right ready? none ah damn it there are no there. This is the first film we have done in which no one has appeared in Murder She Wrote. That is directly related, I assume, to the fact that everyone here, or that most of the actors in this movie, um, were either uh, like sex workers, strippers, <laughs> or in the adult indus- entertainment industry at some point. So, like this was their this was the movie they were in. And it, and it was not related to what they were doing professionally, with the exception of like people that were already in exploitation movies that weren't going to be in Murder Shoot anyway. <laughs> they they so, can't all be winners. They can't. Have, though th- this is one of those movies where the movie is the winner and the audience is the winner for watching it, but no one who is involved in it can have a career after. <laughs> this is it. You're, you're done. Yeah, there's a, quite a few of those movies we're going to get to, and this is unfortunately is one of them, but it is a work yeah. of art. On a scale of one to five melting faces, would you watch it oh, again? I would, I would 100% watch it again. I mean, I'd have to be careful of the company I watch it with. Um, yeah, again, this <laughs> but, is true. That's, this is absolutely uh, true. If this, uh, yeah, on my own, just sitting watching a movie, I would, I would never turn it off, and I might want to watch it again if I want some good laughs. It scratches that dry comedy itch. So I guess I only have one question left. In a way, I brought you here to offer you a job. You think you can do it better? So here's your chance. Is that the question? That's the question. <laughs> oh, three things to change. This is a hard one because there was so much good in this movie. Uh, but um, I have to change three things. And um, I would choose, I'd cut the drill in the head scene or change it up somehow. Um, I would say I want more Frankenhooker. <laughs> just just her face is just perfect. Um, <laughs> I forgot to mention the Japanese tourists that were taking pictures of her and she just starts making these weird faces in the flash. And just I love that part. I, I love the part where Jeffrey's trying to find her and he, he runs into the, to the, to this, um, uh, Norwegian guy. And he's like, have you seen my girlfriend? She's tall and purple. He's like, yeah, four of them. And for like four of them and two for me. And he walks off and he goes in his thick accent and Jeffrey just goes, what are you a Swede? <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's my oh, and um, I would like I would like more of his mom. All right, well that wraps it up for this episode of Found on Shelf. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe on whatever platform you manage to find us on. Uh, check us out at uh, Found on Shelf Pod, all one word dot com. Um, for, 
all your social media needs. We are found on shelf again, all one word on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and at Gmail. Let us know if you think of the show. Uh, offer any suggestions or movies you'd like to see us check out in the future. And I don't have any quips at the end. That's right. it, guys. Y'all have a great That's one. A wrap. I want that music playing every time I just walk around anywhere. Mm-hmm.